Isaiah and today Matt Malcolm is preaching and from chapter 40. We're in Isaiah 40, reading from verse 1 to verse 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades but the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Please speak now. As we dig into your amazing word, please change us. Please grow us. Apply your word to our hearts that we might know you as our God. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Where do you find lasting comfort? Where do you find deep consolation for your soul. Like we're looking towards Christmas now and so the obvious place where we're going to look for comfort in this season when we celebrate the birth of our Saviour, the obvious place we look for comfort is shopping, right? Shopping, yeah. We go to Stuff Mart and uh, we walk the aisles uh, looking at all the stuff and uh, we pick the stuff off the shelves and we pay for the stuff and some of the stuff we keep and some of the stuff we give away and we kind of feel a little comforted, don't we, about it. Stuff gives us a little comfort. But does it satisfy? I think the answer we all know is it doesn't. It doesn't satisfy. Stuff Mart and everything that comes with that doesn't satisfy. And I'll tell you why. One reason, Boxing Day sales. We go back the next week and keep buying stuff. So that doesn't work, does it? But we're willing to give it a go. 
we go back. And if it's not shopping, then what is it for you? What's the, what's the shallow comfort that you kind of grab onto? Is it houses? Is it cars? Is it good relationship? Is it happy families? Is it leisure activities? Kite surfing, for example? We're all looking for comfort, aren't we? We're kind of comfort radar is on, isn't it? And we're looking for consolation, deep consolation of our souls. But the problem is those sort of places don't work. We kind of give it a crack, but they don't work. Stuff breaks, jobs are lost, relationships fail, leisure activities cease, the wind dies down, we can't go kite surfing anymore, and marriages break down. So where do we find deep comfort? Here's the big question this morning. Where can broken people find comfort? Where do people who realise things are stuffed go? Where do shattered people find genuine consolation for their souls? Where do people who realise they are stuffed go? There's the big, big question this morning that God answers in Isaiah 40. Where do people who realise they're broken go? comfort. This morning we see real comfort for a shattered people. Up until now, Isaiah's message has been a message of God's judgment. If you've been with us as we've been doing little highlights of Isaiah or if you've been reading through it yourself, which is always a good thing to do when we're preaching through the Bible, you've seen that God has rightly judged his people for rebelling against them. And this has happened along the way. Remember in the Old Testament, God's people are the ones he has rescued from slavery in Egypt. Remember he parted the sea? If you haven't read the story, you might have seen the the DVD, Prince of Egypt. And he parts the sea and he rescues his people and they come into the land that he's promised them. And along the way, he gives them instructions. The law, Torah, which is just basically how to live as God's special people, already saved, this is how you live. But they've rebelled, haven't they? People have not listened to God. They've tried to be God. Just like Adam and Eve right at the beginning, they didn't listen to God, neglected their special relationship with God, didn't love God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their strength. Even the kings forgot God. And so God rightly judges them. And the big judgment in the Old Testament is taking them out of the promised land. Exile, it's called, just a funny word that means taking them out of the land that that was given to them, their special spiritual home. They're not there. And some of them return after 70 years in exile, but it's just a little scattering. And that's where God's people are at. They're shattered. They're broken. They are under the righteous judgment of God for their sin. But now, something comes. Comfort. Comfort for a shattered people. And that brings us to Isaiah 40, 1 to 11, which is a bit like an overture in a musical. I don't know if some people who are less cultured than me, I'm looking around, I don't see many less cultured than me, but just... 
humour me for a second, there might be one or two. See, I grew up in a family where my dad was an opera singer and so I got dragged to musicals and operas all the time and some of them I listened to and most of them I slept through. But the result was I knew, I know a little bit about musical compositions. An overture is the thing that begins the performance and it gives you all the main melodies that are going to be fleshed out later. And this is a, an overture. When I was in high school, I was in the senior orchestra. Do I look like an orchestra type to you? I was percussion. And one of the pieces we played was Overture for Carmen. Does anyone know Overture for Carmen? From Carmen? Dun, 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 And it plays all the brilliant, uh, memorable themes are all just jam-packed into this tiny little song at the start and then they're fleshed out later. And that's exactly what happens here in Isaiah 40, 1 to 11. That's why we stopped there at 11. We could have kept going. There's a lot of great stuff in Isaiah 40. But this is a little unit and it brings out all the key themes. But it doesn't explain them all. So you've got to take that on board. There's comfort from God. There's atonement for sin. There's the way of the Lord. There's the glory of the Lord. There's the power of God's word. There's the city of God. There's compassion of a saviour. All those things are mentioned like a big overture stating the melodies that are going to be expounded in the rest of Isaiah. So let's have a look at the grand overture. It's important to see it like that so you you realise you're not going to get every explanation of these grand melodic themes in this little section. Let's have a look. What's the first thing that happens? There's three stirring commands begin, like three trumpet blasts to begin the overture. Comfort, speak, proclaim. Like three trumpet blasts. Straight away we get the feel. Comfort, speak, proclaim. You get the feel. It's urgent. Something important is happening. Yes, God's people are shattered. Yes, they're under God's judgement. They're broken, but now things have changed. The tone is urgent. Something huge is about to happen. And it's like it's speaking to us, isn't it? Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry out, proclaim to her that her warfare has ended. So God speaks and then there's an anonymous voice that speaks later. And did you see the big thing that's about to happen? What's the big thing? God's coming. The Lord is about to visit. It's like um, an announcement that Queen Victoria is just about to get off the plane at Perth International Airport, which is always a huge deal. Perth is just the centre of everywhere. It's a proclamation. God himself is going to enter. He's coming. He's coming to his world and it's vital to get the preparations right. Cry out, says another voice. There's tension in the air. Cry out. It's like an urgent call to action. It's like when you're, you're, uh, you're sitting in the, in, a, in the pews and you're listening to a speaker and he calls people to stand up or to say something and everyone kind of squirms in their seat and goes, but oh, not look at his eyes. It's like that. Who is going to, who's going to speak? Who is it? And then someone breaks out. What shall I cry? It's Isaiah, isn't it? The prophet. What shall I say? What's the message? It's not like he's volunteering. He's, he's just acknowledging, I'm the prophet. What's the message now? 
And here's the message. Remember, it's been judgment up to now. That's the big message. Isaiah's been called by God to proclaim judgment. It's been a scorched earth policy till the cities lie ruined. Sin is judged. His people are shattered. But now, what's the message? Comfort, comfort my people. The message comes from people whose whole world is shattered. And for a people like that, shallow comfort doesn't work, does it? You know, cheap, shallow comfort. It just doesn't work. Stuff mart doesn't work for a people who are shattered. Money in the bank is no comfort for a people who are shattered. Owning your own home, having a good family, getting a good job, being seen to be a good, upright citizen doesn't cut it. It's shallow comfort for people who are shattered, broken by their sin. So now the word of God comes to Isaiah and it's not cheap comfort. There's three big truths that God gives to show comfort to his people. Three big truths for real comfort. And the first one is God forgives his people of all their sins. Have a look there at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 40. Verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now, did you see the first thing? God's people are still God's people, aren't they? What does he say? Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Yes, they are shattered. Yes, they have replaced God for things he's made. But they're still his people because he forgives their sins. The penalty for sins has been paid for. They're released from their hard labour. Iniquity is pardoned. Warfare is ended. That means God is not at war with his people anymore. It's a royal pardon. The prison doors are flung wide open and they're free. Rebellious people have been totally forgiven. And you're thinking, how? How How does that work? I mean, God just says it. We know the background does surely 50, 60, 70 years out of the promised land doesn't cover decades and decades of rebellion against God. Surely that wouldn't even atone for the people who are listening to Isaiah, let alone all the ancestors who have been rebelling. It's a pardon, but it's much bigger than God just saying your sins are forgiven, isn't it? Remember the overture. This is stating a melodic theme that is about to be expounded. And as we go to Isaiah 53, we see the mystery unfolded. We'll get to that in a minute. But for now, it's a simple announcement. Your sins are forgiven for shattered people. That's comfort, isn't it? Your hard labour is is over. I don't think there's any more comforting news than to hear from your God. You are forgiven. When my kids do the wrong thing, they when they disobey mummy and daddy, they get to sit on their dot. That's our first kind of place that we go to for discipline. We don't actually draw a dot on the tiles or whatever. They just kind of know where the spot is. And we say, okay, it's time to go to your dot. You've been disobeying mummy and daddy. 
And usually they sit on their dot and they realise this isn't that big a deal. I'm going to get off this thing soon. And uh, they listen, we come and pray with them and we talk about what they've done and it's all good. But our youngest daughter, little Lucy, she's only got two settings. It's either fully on or fully off. And this one day, Lucy wasn't listening to me and her Lucy setting happened to be fully on. And uh, so I put her on a dot, but uh, her being fully on meant that she absolutely freaked out. She couldn't handle it. She realised she was in the wrong and Daddy was not happy. And she freaked. Daddy, Daddy, freaked out. Just crying, uh, kicking, tears, screaming. And then I came back. And we sat down and we talked about it. She had sinned, she disobeyed Daddy. She was punished, she put on a dot. And she was broken. She was broken by her sin. She wanted Daddy's forgiveness and she got it. God forgives his people all their sin. And as we flick to Isaiah 53, we see how. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each have turned to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions, He was crushed for our iniquities. Can you see what that means? It's talking about Jesus, right? We look at Isaiah 40 in the light of the cross, we see he has received from the Lord's hand double for all our sins. He got the just penalty instead of us. And so if you remember in Isaiah 5 when we were looking at that in Isaiah 6, God's anger was kindled at his people. And there was a picture of his hand raised up and it was struck. It struck them. They were punished. And then it was raised up again. And where did the hand come down? The hand came down on him who knew no sin. It was on him. The hand of God was on him. The punishment for me, for you, went on him. Do you see what that means? This side of the cross, we see clearly what they saw in shadows. This idea of being pardoned for all your sins in Isaiah 40 lights up at the cross, doesn't it? And God forgives his people all their sins through the cross. So if you're not yet a Christian, you've come here, you might be come first time here, might, might have been coming for a little while, you're not sure where you, where you stand with God, great to have you here. Do you see what that means for you? At the moment, you are without God, without forgiveness. But you can have all your sins forgiven. You are living, like all of us, in rebellion against God. And you need forgiveness. So turn to him 
who took the punishment for us. Come check out Jesus. We've got this thing, Essential Jesus, up on the bookshelf up here. Take one. Go talk to Dwayne, talk to me, talk to Dave Stevenson and find out how good Jesus is. God forgives us all our sins. Let's get real for a second. Do you see that you're broken? Can you see that you're trying to get comfort in places that it just won't work? Money in the bank won't do it. Stuff mart won't do it. Having your own home, uh, being a good person, having a good family is not going to give you the comfort of your soul that you desire deeply. You're made for it. You need forgiveness. If you're a Christian, do you see what this means for you? Same thing. See, we just, for some dumb reason, we Christians forget the comfort we already have. And we go searching for comfort in all the wrong places. Christmas is coming. I'm off to Stuff Mart and Boxing Day is coming. I'm going to save up so I can get the more stuff. It doesn't work. You can go buy stuff. It's not that big a deal. But is it giving you the comfort that you deeply desire? Because it won't. But if you're trying to get it, you're going to be disappointed. Your remote control car is going to break. So stop trying to find comfort in all the wrong places. Are you still finding comfort in the cross? Have you forgotten? Have you... Is it slipped your mind? I don't know about you, but sometimes it's, I just forget. Oh, that's right. The deep comfort and consolation of my soul is only in the cross. It must come back to the cross. It's nothing more. God forgives all his people, all their sins. That's the first truth that gives us real comfort. Number two, God leads his people with power and compassion. See, God doesn't just say he forgives people, but he also acts to show them it's true. He won't leave us where we are. Have a look there from verse 3 of chapter 40. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low, and even the ground shall become level and the rough places are plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. All flesh shall see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now skip to verse 10. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and with his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. You say, behold, our God comes. You see, the way he comes through the wilderness, through it, is not just the way of the Lord. It's the way of his people too. God comes and everyone will see it. God comes and God will take his people with him. God leads his people. 
He will tend them. He will carry them. He will gather and shepherd them. And as the watching world looks on, they will see what kind of God this is. A God of compassion and love. Did you see? He leads with power. Comes with might and his arm rules for him. That is, he's the king. He comes. He's the king and everyone will see it. This is a powerful God who leads his people. And not just powerful, he's also compassionate. Did you feel that language in verse 11? Did you get the picture? He tends his flock. He gathers the lambs. He brings them into his bosom. He cares for them and leaves those with young. It's a picture of a loving shepherd, isn't it? Just cuddling. Gentle, tender, compassionate. That's the God that we trust. That's the God that gives deep comfort for your soul. He not just forgives your sins, but he also carries his people with him. So after Lucy's put on her dot, and after we've, uh, she's sinned, she's been punished, she's shattered at her sin because Lucy's either on or off and when she's off, she's off. What do we do next? After I've prayed with her, we've talked about and I've forgiven her, what do we do next? We cuddle. And if you've ever had a Lucy cuddle, you know it. She cuddles. When she cuddles, she really cuddles and when she comes into my arms... She knows that she's not just forgiven, she's, she's comforted by that, but she's also comforted in being in my big lanky arms. Daddy has her. And that's God. God leads his people with power and compassion. In Mark 1, John the Baptist comes. You know the story about Jesus, John the Baptist comes and he quotes this bit of the Bible. He says, make straight the way of the Lord. He's preparing for the king to come. And then there's three, verse, uh, three words in verse 9 of Mark chapter 1. John the Baptist coming, proclaiming, I'm preparing the way for the king. Three words in verse 9. And Jesus came. Sets us up. Behold our God. He comes. And what does Jesus do? He sees the crowds and he has compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like without a shepherd. You see, Jesus is our God who leads his people with power and compassion. Jesus is the good shepherd. He says it. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. So where do you find comfort. Is it in the God who made you and saved you, who came, died on the cross for your sins and was resurrected? Do you find comfort in the true and living God who saves or in the stuff he makes? The creator, saviour or the creation? It's only two places to find comfort. Number three, God forgives his people all their sins. God leads his people with power and compassion. And lastly, God speaks to his people the living and eternal word. Have a look there at verse 6. 
A voice says, cry, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its beauty like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Pretty obvious contrast, right? We've got people who are like grass. When you're coming up to summer, look at your grass. It's going to die very soon. You're going to get the watering can out because that stuff's going to die. Don't come into our house, it's already dead. But we've got that and then we've got the Word of, the, of God, the eternal and living Word of God that stands forever. And the reason that the Word of God is eternal is that it has the same character of God himself. It's as unchangeable and reliable as the God who speaks it. So do you see what comfort that brings? God not only forgives us our sins, not only leads us, with compassion and power, but he also speaks his eternal, never-fading word to us. See, if I forgave Lucy when she was on a dot and we cuddled, but I didn't say anything to her after that, that would be stupid, wouldn't it? It just wouldn't work. God forgives us grabs us and cuddles us up and speaks. And here's the amazing thing about the word he speaks. It makes people who are like grass live forever. Finish up here with Peter. Apostle Peter, 1 Peter 1, takes this idea from Isaiah 40 and he says, You have been born again to Christians not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the gospel that was preached to you. You see what happens? The gospel is the powerful eternal word that makes people, all flesh, who die like grass, wither, makes them last forever. God's word has the same character of God himself. He speaks it unchangeable, reliable and he speaks it to his people, a word of life. So the disciples say to Jesus, where else are we going to go when you have the words of eternal life? Where else are you going to go? To find comfort for your soul. Stuff perishes. Remote control cars break. You perish unless you come to him through his imperishable word. Him who died and was raised who gives comfort for your soul. That's genuine comfort, isn't it? And that's such news that you've got to shout it from the rooftops. And that's where we finish. Isaiah 40 verse 9 says exactly that. Get up on a high mountain. Go, O Zion, O God's people, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem. Herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not, say to the cities of Judah, 
behold our God. Here he is. He forgives sins. Here he is. He leads us with power and compassion. And here he is. He speaks his eternal word. Let's pray. Father, we come before you as as broken in our sin, in desperate need of mercy and comfort. And lo and behold, you are the God of all comfort and compassion. Praise you for that, Heavenly Father, that you forgive us all our sins through Jesus, that you lead us with power and compassion through Jesus and that you speak to us the living and eternal word of Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen.